0: Turn in the Holy Scriptures this evening to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin reading with verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 4, 17 to the end of the chapter. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him, And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, The text that we consider tonight, which is verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption, belongs to a number of examples of the main exhortation found earlier in verses 22 through 24 namely the calling to put on the new man and put off the old man to put off the old man and its corrupt life the life of the Gentile the life that we receive through Adam to put that off and to put on the new man that is the resurrection life of Christ and to live according to that new man and this exhortation he says is something we learned from Christ that Christ teaches us this and then what follows is a number of exhortations that are examples of putting off the old and putting on the new that's evident when you look at the list every one of them consists of a negative and a positive and the idea is that you for example in verse 25 put off the old man by putting away lying and consequently one also puts on the new man by speaking every man the truth with his neighbor and so it goes throughout this section one puts off the old man by not stealing anymore and then puts on the new man by labor working with his hands the thing which is good go all the way to the end of the section one puts off the old man by putting away from you all malice and bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and puts on the new man By rather being kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now our text belongs to that group, so that we may see that grieving not the Holy Spirit is part of putting off the old man and putting on the new, and yet it stands apart from all the others. There are two things in special about this section that stand out. I pointed them out last week and one is that with regard to putting off and putting on that failure to do that gives place to the devil where he did not have a place before and now we have another one that stands out what makes it stand out well the Holy Spirit when speaking here speaks only negatively you'll notice there's no positive it's simply negatively Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That makes it stand out. What the Holy Spirit is doing by that is indicating that what is said here is a sort of summary of all these examples. You may see it that way, and we're going to look at it that way too. If one asks, how is it that one grieves the Holy Spirit, or doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, the answer is according to how one puts off the old and puts on the new, or failure to do so. In other words, one grieves the Spirit when he does not put off the old and does not put on the new. Or one grieves the Spirit when one does not put away lying and does not speak the truth to his neighbor. That's specifically how. So, this text here is explaining further. It adds something to the instruction about putting off the old and putting on the new. It's teaching us a certain consequence with regard to that activity. The Holy Spirit also indicates something special by placing this admonition where he does you will notice that it does not come at the very end which is what you would expect if it is a summary but it comes before the last group of putting off and putting on some have even said therefore that this grieving of the Holy Spirit applies simply to the last two verses and the activities there or failure of those activities and has led Some also to say that the spirit we grieve is not our own personal spirit, the one that is in us, but the spirit of the other, the neighbor against whom we are angry. That's not true. It cannot be because it talks about the spirit that seals us. And the us there is every one of us. It's an individual singular. It's speaking about the individual spirit of an individual, not the other, the neighbor. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit does indicate that this verse isn't simply a summary of all the putting off and putting on the new, but it does apply especially to those things that are found there at the end concerning bitterness and wrath, and we're going to look at that too. Lastly, by way of introduction, want you to see that the Holy Spirit here, by isolating this and setting forth the way it is, is indicating that what's said here is a sort of incentive, a motive, to put off the old and put on the new. He's indicating not simply the consequences, but indicating also the seriousness of this activity. He's indicating over against our own tendency, our own nature to say, well, that's really not such a big deal. Is it really such a big deal if I'm angry or not angry, or if I speak in kindness or I speak in malice? Is that really a big deal? And the answer is yes, it is. It grieves the Spirit. So consider with me, grieve not the Spirit, the warning that that is, and then secondly, the work or the activity that that is and then finally the motivation that it is there's a warning here it's not simply an admonition but it must be viewed as a warning a warning that's given by the Holy Spirit here in the unique way that he sets this forth as opposed to all the other examples of putting off and putting on warning grieve not the spirit Now that Spirit here is identified as the Holy Spirit of God. That is, the Spirit here is especially now the third person of the Holy Trinity, the third person of the triune God, the family of God. Therefore also it is the Spirit of God that is given personally to Jesus Christ to the risen and ascended Jesus Christ and also the Spirit then given to us and that has been mentioned frequently in this book thus far it is therefore in the first place God's own personal spirit that's evident because the Spirit is identified as God Himself the Spirit of God even the Holy Spirit of God now God's spirit unlike our spirit is a personal spirit it's a unique person a distinct person in the triune being of God a person that says I it's unlike our spirit although there is a similarity, a certain similarity, but we must see that it's a person in the being of God. It's not simply a part or an aspect of God like our spirit is. But at the same time, there is a similarity to our spirit so that we can understand something about the spirit and the being of God. And the idea is that as the spirit acts, God acts. And as God acts, His Spirit acts. As God feels, His Spirit feels. As God thinks, His Spirit thinks. As God lives, His Spirit lives. And vice versa. As God works, His Spirit works. means also that when we grieve the Spirit, we are grieving God Himself. Or vice versa, if we speak about ever grieving God, we may say that we are grieving God's spirit and to grieve God is to grieve his spirit the spirit is God God is his spirit and yet that spirit is a distinct person we need to do justice to all those things there is a relationship of that a reflection of that I should say in us we too have a spirit Although our spirit, there is a difference. We do say that my spirit is me and I am my spirit, but the idea really is that our spirit is personally united to our person. The thing that says I, who I am. As my spirit thinks, I think. As my spirit does, I do or what I do, I do according to my spirit and in my spirit. So there is a reflection of this, what is unique about God. That his spirit is a distinct person that's reflected in us. I am my spirit and my spirit is me, but I also must see those as distinct I behave and act and work according to my spirit now this is God's own spirit as it's given to Jesus Christ and therefore also to me when I'm united to Jesus Christ or to even put it more succinctly we are united to Christ by his spirit that's actually what we read in our baptism form if you want to have some fun go find that reference we are united to Christ by his spirit that's indicated when it speaks about the Holy Spirit whenever we speak about the Holy Spirit we are especially looking at the spirit as he's given to Jesus Christ as his own personal spirit the spirit we grieve therefore is not our own natural human spirit the one that we receive from our father Adam It's not that which we share with the whole human race so that all humans have the same sort of human spirit, yet their own personal one. This is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God as it's given to Jesus Christ and then subsequently given to me. That word spirit is that which describes our nature and our character as human beings. My human spirit is that which is human about me. It is that which animates me. It is the source of my life. It is my being. It really describes me fundamentally. And the spirit, of course, when we fell, is what was corrupted and depraved that's not the spirit we grieve in fact if we want to look at the text antithetically and rightly the idea really is that we are going to grieve one spirit or another with regard to putting off the old man and putting on the new man if one fails to do that he will grieve the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit of God but that will be delightful and wonderful to his human spirit and consequently when there is joy and delight with regard to the Holy Spirit of God one may expect that his human spirit the spirit of his old man will become depressed morose sad and grieved greatly. We ought to recognize that with regard to the text because we have another spirit. And that's why we have the reference to an old man and a new man. That's the importance of this text. There's a further describing here of what that old man, new man is all about. When we first read about the old man and new man, we did describe it rightly. And perhaps you asked yourself, well, Reverend, where are you getting some of that information? And the answer is, from what follows. You see, when we talked about the old man and the new man, we talked about that being me. My life. It's my own human life. But it's as I live that life according to two completely different principles. Or we may say now, spirits. The old man... It's how I live my life according to my old human spirit. It's the life I live in that spirit and according to that spirit of the new man is me and how I live my life and what I do or don't do according to the Holy Spirit of God within me. You see what this passage does here is it explains the source and the power of that old man or the new man I was very careful in explaining to you when we discussed the old man new man to make clear to you and prove to you conclusively from Scripture that the new man was not the spirit as such because it's described as a man It's described as something that's renewed after the image of God its human it's me But at the same time, we recognize that there's a source. There's a power of that Spirit that can't be human. It can't be derived from humanity. It can't be derived from within me. It has to come from somewhere else. And now we learn what it is. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. That's the source and the power of the new man. It's that which animates, moves, and directs the new man and yet in such a way that I remain a man I don't turn into God my I doesn't become God I don't become God I may say that I am God but there is a union with me and my person so that what I do affects the spirit even as what I do is affected by the Spirit. There's a reciprocal relationship there. That's what this text is explaining. And so much is that true that it's a human spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God, but it's operating in me as a human being, not as someone who is God or divine. That's the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I first connected it to Christ. If you doubt me on this, one simply has to look at Christ. Christ is God. But when He was given the Spirit of God as His own personal Spirit, His human nature didn't become divine. That would be heresy. That would be wrong. The Christian faith has rejected that on the basis of Scripture. Even though the Spirit that moves Him and animates Him is the very Holy Spirit of God, the personal Spirit of God, and He indeed is God, His human nature remains a human nature. And that same thing is reflected in us. That's what we have to recognize as being spoken about here. But now the warning itself. The warning is, grieve not the Spirit. And as we're going to see the idea of the passages, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by putting on the old man or keeping the old man on and failing to put off the new man. What does it mean to grieve the Spirit? Well, just what it says. It, makes, it means you make the Holy Spirit sad, and greatly sad. The idea is a sadness that is of great distress and suffering with overwhelming kinds of sorrow. This word is used, for example, in Matthew 26 to describe the deep deep sorrow of the disciples when they realized the Lord would be betrayed and killed that night. That kind of sorrow. John 21 uses that same word to describe the deep, deep grief that Peter had after the Lord asked if his denial indicated that he didn't love the Lord. And Peter was grieved by that. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, describes it as the sorrow of one whose loved one has died. So that kind of grief. Not a few tears here, but a deep, overwhelming kind of grief that we know when someone whom we love very much has died. Now, we might ask if that's even possible. We shouldn't ask that question. It's right here in the Holy Scriptures. We might ask that question of course because we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God here. This is the Spirit of God who is immortal. This is the Spirit of God who is powerful. So it seems impossible that we might grieve Him who is God. Not only that, but the Spirit, we are told here, is the Spirit that seals us unto the day of redemption. That is, it's a Spirit that's impossible to take away, to leave us. It's possible, impossible for us to lose, therefore, our redemption. But nevertheless, it asks the question, or begs the question, well then is it possible to grieve the Spirit? The answer is yes. And this isn't the only place in Scripture that indicates this. In Genesis 3, verse 6, verse 3, we read, My spirit shall not always strive with man. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, we read, Quench not the spirit. Now that's talking about something a bit different here, but nevertheless, the point is actions that we have and do affect the spirit of God. In Hebrews 10, verse 29, we read about members who trampled underfoot and crucified again the Son of God. So they did despot, or despite, or despised the Spirit. Proof is our confessions, which are the end of the matter. And this is especially the importance of the Canons Head 5, Articles 4 and 5. If you want to know the text and what it means and the official reformed explanation of this text, go right there. Our fathers have our eye, have their eye on this text. And in there they explain, number one, how one grieves the Spirit, the limitation to that given the fact that the Spirit is the one who seals us unto the day of redemption and how one ceases to grieve The Spirit. And it has to do with sin. And it explains why in the canons, the sins are even called lamentable. Lamentable. One reason they're lamentable is because they grieve the Spirit. Here's what we read. On the one hand, although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God, read Holy Spirit, who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, yet converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God. The result is they grieve the Spirit. As not in some particular instances sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace, so as to be seduced by and comply with the lusts of the flesh, that is, live according to the old man. They must, therefore, be constant in watching and prayer, that they be not led into temptation. And when these are neglected, they are not only liable to be drawn into great and heinous sins by Satan, the world, and the flesh, i.e., the old man, but sometimes, by the righteous permission of God, actually fall into these evils. This, the lamentable fall of David, Peter, and other saints, described in Holy Scripture, demonstrates, our fathers there, explaining... Falls, great falls, some of the greatest falls into sin recorded in Scripture and connecting it to the Spirit. Then Article 5 says this By such enormous sins, however, they very highly offend God, incur a deadly guilt, grieve the Holy Spirit. Our fathers have our eyes right, their eyes right on this text. They grieve the Holy Spirit. And what you should see here is what's being described as that grieving of the Holy Spirit. If you ask me what it is to grieve the Holy Spirit specifically, I'm going to quote this to you. How is it that we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we grieve the Holy Spirit because in the first place, we highly offend God. The Spirit is grieved because we're offending God, and we're offending Him highly. That grieves Him. Specifically, it grieves His Spirit. We incur a deadly guilt. Our conscience accuses us. You've sinned. And rightly so, our conscience is speaking. A sin, therefore, that we must repent of. Because the guilt is there. That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. We interrupt the exercise of faith. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, you interrupt the exercise of faith. Notice you don't destroy faith. Doesn't disappear, but you do interrupt the exercise of it. You very grievously wound your conscience. That's related to the deadly guilt. Why is the spirit grieved? Because you're wounding the conscience through which the spirit speaks and sometimes lose the sense of God's favor. You feel as if God's not favorable towards you until on their returning into the right way of serious repentance the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. There's the description of the canons that shows how we grieve the Spirit. It shows the seriousness of that with regards to God. You say, why? Well, because sin offends God. Sin is the result of not using the guidance and power of His divine grace through the prayer and through the Word. Neglecting prayer and the Word. God has given us means to overcome sin. So not only does one incur guilt, but one makes God look powerless. you realize that's another reason we grieve the Spirit? Who are we? What do we claim to be? What do we confess about the Spirit? And then we go out and sin. That grieves the Spirit. In part because of what it makes the Spirit look to be. What it makes God to look out to be. Causes the world to say, ah, you Christians are no different than us. Now, as in as much as this Spirit is our Spirit, this has consequences with regard to ourselves. That's the point. One thing to say, I grieve the Spirit, and I have grieved the Spirit, but now you have to see that Spirit is your Spirit. It's in you. That Spirit is connected to your person. So, you're grieving yourself. That explains a lot. And that's true. Inasmuch as the guilt you incur is something of which you must repent. You interrupt the exercise of your own faith so that you don't trust the promises of God as you ought. You don't rely upon the word of God as a means of grace as you ought. You wound your conscience so it sits there and accuses you. That has an effect. Not simply on. God now, and God is disconnected from you, but God who is within you. God who animates you. God who is the source and power of your new man. So what does that result in? Grief. Put it another way, lack of joy. Lack of confidence in your own salvation. You see, the normal state of the believer is joy, happiness, rejoicing in his salvation. But when we live in sin, when we fall into sin, When we say about putting off and putting on, ah, not all that important, we grieve not only Spirit, we grieve our Spirit. And this, you see, explains so much in the church. So much. Now, how do we do that? How do we either grieve or not grieve the Spirit? And here I will be somewhat brief, because it's simply everything that's put here. Both the negative and the positive, you understand. When someone puts away lying, then they're not grieving the spirit. When they speak the truth with their neighbor in love, they're not grieving the spirit. But when they when they lie about their neighbor, and they won't put it off, that grieves the spirit. When someone doesn't speak the truth about their neighbor, that grieves the spirit. It's that simple. If someone continues stealing, they're grieving the spirit. But consequently, too, if they won't work good with their hands, that grieves the Spirit, too. Now, what I'm interested in is pointing out to you more about these sins themselves. You'll notice here that these are all sins against the second table of the law. In other words, they're all sins against the neighbor. Look at the whole list. It doesn't have anything to do directly with God. Now, why is that? What's going on here? God's pointing out something. You, You see, putting off the old man in putting on the new is difficult. And it's truly impossible to do in your old man. Period. It can't be done. And one of the excuses that we often give is, well, what I'm doing only regards the neighbor. It's not about God. It's not like I'm lying about God. It's not like I'm really stealing from God. It's, It's not like I'm speaking falsehoods about God. You go through the list. It's not like my corrupt communication concerns God Himself. I'm not stealing from the collection plate. In other words, it's really not all that big a deal. It doesn't really affect God. And the Spirit is saying, no, you don't understand. Sin against the second commandment, or sin against the second table of law, sin against the neighbor, grieves the Spirit of God as much as sin directed at Him. We have to understand that. Why, let someone tell a lie about the truth of God and they're declared a heretic and out of the church they go. But someone speaks a lie about their neighbor and no one seems to care. Well, that grieves the spirit too. So take note of that. Also, notice that all of these are the kinds of sins that we might have the tendency to overlook or consider minor. Notice here the sins that are set forth, they don't talk about committing fornication or not or murder or not even the stealing that is brought out here is is brought out to be a sort of minor stealing Uh, the kind of thing that probably wouldn't land you in jail or any such thing because the opposite is work with your hands to have a little extra to give to the poor it might be the kind of theft even where someone refuses to work that's likely what he has in mind the person that's stealing from benevolence because well He doesn't want to work. So the church has to support him. And we would look at all these things and say, ah, they're not that big of a deal. What's the big deal if I let the sun go down upon my wrath so I go to sleep still mad at my wife or my kids? Well, we pointed out some things. One is you give place to the devil. That explains a lot. That explains why many many marriages are in splinters and homes are in shambles. But there's more than that. You grieve the Spirit of God. Now, why is that? Well, hopefully you see. We've been going through the law of God here in this church, and I've been trying in the second table of law to connect it exactly to God because scriptures do. When you fornicate, the Bible explicitly points out that you join the Spirit to a harlot. You are fornicating with the Spirit of God and His body. When you lie, The lips you lie with are the Lord's lips. He bought them. So you see, this completely discombobulates and rearranges our order of sin and what we think of sin and the importance of sin. Notice also that this applies to the positive as well as the negative. Why? Again, because we often think we're putting on the new man when we're simply putting off the old. So often we think it's only one or the other. I'm putting on the new man while still living in sin. You're not putting off the old. Or we say, I'm doing what I'm told. I'm living as I should because I'm putting off the old man. I'm not stealing from my neighbor. Yeah, but are you working so that you can give to the poor? Or are you just working for yourself? Well, you're not putting on the new man. So notice, grieving the Spirit has to do with both sides of the equation in other words if we could speak foolishly here if I could refrain from lying about my neighbor and refrain from stealing if I could stop the corrupt communication from my mouth and not sin when I'm angry but that's all that's it I don't speak the truth in love about my neighbor I'm not working for the neighbors good then you're still grieving the spirit that grieves the spirit work like crazy, but you can barely, barely put money in the collection plate. Before you put it in, you're thinking about yourself, and your car payment, that grieves the Spirit. But there's one more thing I want to bring to your attention in this regard, and that's the last two verses. It's my opinion. You can disagree with me, that's fine. But it's my opinion that this grieving the Holy Spirit especially has to do with those last two verses. And here's where we're going to consider them too. I can be brief because we did consider them somewhat this morning. But notice those last two verses. "...Let all bitterness and wrath and anger..." There's anger again brought up. "...and clamor..." Clamor is loud noise, raising a ruckus, pounding the table, making sure everybody knows what you're having to say, and it's because you're angry and bitter about something. "...and evil speaking..." Be put away from you with all malice. Malice has to do with an intention to do evil or to hurt somebody. And then on the other side, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now I'm making a big deal out of this, and for a reason. And the reason is is because I'm like you, and I've lived in the Protestant Reform churches my entire life, and this is our besetting sin. And it's our besetting sin because we don't think much of it. Ah, I'm just bitter about a few things. It's just bitterness. And I'm not bitter really with God. I'm just bitter about how this happened with regard to the neighbor. Just a little bitterness, a little wrath, a little anger. I'm pounding the table just a little bit. I want to be heard. It's just a little evil speaking. It's, after all, just Ninth Commandment stuff. What's the big deal? Can I harbor a little malice in my heart? It's not hurting anybody. And be, be kind? That's overrated. Be kind. That's what the liberal church is all about. They all I do is talk about love and being kind and tenderhearted and all that. That's all that liberal stuff. We're not supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be warriors. We're supposed to destroy people. Tenderhearted? Why? Why, our heart has to be firm and courageous and strong. Forgiving one another, that too is overrated. Really, it is. Amazing. We we even minimize the necessity of forgiveness with regard to God. So why would we be expected to take forgiveness with regard to the neighbor seriously? Forgive us our debts, we say very loud and mumble as we forgive our debtors. And then forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. I'll forgive, I'll forgive this way and that way, but not as Christ has forgiven you. This right here, beloved, is why many of you, and why me too, can be so depressed, so filled with grief and sorrow. This is why homes have been destroyed, marriages have been destroyed. I believe with all my heart this is why we just had a schism. I believe it with all my heart. And I'm not just telling you that. I've told others this, including those that left, long before they left. The problem here is bitterness and anger and clamor and evil speaking. And we don't think much about it. I have a right. I've been wronged. I can justify it. But you've grieved the Spirit. You've grieved the Spirit. Now, this is given to us for a motive. And I might say there's also a motive to not grieve the Spirit. I hope you see that. There's a real motive here. You say to yourself, why should I live the way God calls me to live? Why should I go through the hard work? And it's hard work. You know why it's hard work? Putting off the old and putting on the new? I explained it to you. Because when you do that, you're going to grieve your human spirit. Your human spirit is going to groan. Because it's what we read in the baptism form is crucifying that old man. That hurts. The old man. It hurts. He resists it. He doesn't want to give to the neighbor. He wants to take from the neighbor. He doesn't want to speak good about the neighbor. He wants to speak evil about the neighbor. He wants to harbor anger and rage and bitterness. And God comes along and says, but you've forgotten something, my son and daughter. Now notice... Beloved, this has nothing to do with salvation as such. It's the Holy Spirit whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Make no mistake, you cannot grieve the Spirit such that you lose the Spirit, that you lose your redemption. And that's why this is a wonderful text to consider on the occasion of baptism. Baptism is a sign and a seal (laughs) of what? (laughs) The gift of the Holy Spirit, in essence. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our redemption. The day of redemption is talking about the last day. The day when Christ comes and raises us all from the grave. When there's the public judgment and God all of God's children are declared innocent, guiltless, based upon the sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ. And they enter into an inheritance that they never dreamed of. An eternal life. They receive all the perfection of all the blessings of Christ's death and satisfaction. That's the day of redemption. The day of redemption is not, not the day Christ died. That happened already. This is something in the future. You're sealed unto it. And the Spirit does that. That's His work. But did it ever occurred to you how the Spirit works that way? We say the Holy Spirit seals us out of the day of redemption. Did it ever occur to you how He does that? Well, one way is he's grieved over sin when we're not. You're not grieved over it, but the Spirit is. And if the child of God has that Spirit, that will be intolerable. At some point, the child of God will wake up. Wake up to his senses. In other words, God works repentance through that very grief of the Spirit. He brings that child to see what he's doing as the wickedness. It really is. But that is the hard road. God is setting forth, God is setting forth that if you put off the old and put on the new, then the spirit will be happy and joyful, which is the norm. That's the norm. That's why it's put here this way. The norm for the child of God is he lives out of the new man and he puts off the old. And When he does, he rejoices in his salvation. He doesn't doubt His salvation. He's not filled with questioning and doubts and consternation because the Spirit is there. But such is that Spirit also that when we live in sin, and especially because we don't think much of sin, then the Spirit is grieved. And that grieves us. And that brings us to our knees. That's how He seals us even to the day of redemption. So it's a motive not only to carry out our calling here. But it sets forth what that motive is, too. It's love. You see, we love not only Jesus Christ, but we love His Spirit. And if we love Jesus Christ, we love His Spirit. And it should pain us and hurt us to grieve that Spirit as much as we would grieve ourselves or our neighbor. That, beloved, is your calling. Amen. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, give us grace to live according to Thy Spirit in the joy and the delight of our salvation, to live in the firm hope and the conviction that we are Thy children, and thus to live putting off the old and putting on the new, lest we grieve the Spirit. And where, O Lord, we have grieved the Spirit, may that come to our consciousness and our recollection May that very grief of the Spirit drive us to our knees and repentance and sorrow of heart ourselves. Continue to preserve us and seal us, O Lord, by thy great spirit, to the glory and honor of thy name. Amen.